Good morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 John, chapter 2. And as I said, we're not covering all of 1 John, so we're missing things. And uh, you'll find other signs there. But we're looking at signs of fellowship with God. What are signs that are saying that we're in fellowship? So we're going to look at 1 John 2, uh, verse uh, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. you know what that is my wife Brian Carl so there's a few actually that's a short version of a cow moose calling for a bull moose and uh, spent many years hunting moose and uh, our kids grew up eating moose meat and uh, most of the moose that I've taken have been by calling a bull in with that sound and other sounds too and uh, most of you, when you heard that, you probably thought, that's one, uh, weird. <laughs> what is that? Uh, but to a bull moose, it sounds wonderful, and it plays on his desires. But as I've done it, I've often thought of this passage. That it's a good example of what John is talking about in this passage in John. Because this world does the same thing to us, it puts in front of us that which appeals to our desires, and it tries to suck us in. And it's always to our destruction when we allow that to happen. One thing I've learned over the years, not every bull moose will come to my calling. Some will hang back in the bush and they'll grunt at me and uh, you can't get them out. They'll stay there, but they're cautious. They're just not sure if it's a real thing. About uh, three years ago, we're out in hunting camp, sitting around the campfire in the middle of the day, when suddenly Reuben, my grandson, said, there's a moose. And we turned to look, and there was a bull moose just 50 yards behind us, looking out of the bush at us. He was watching us. And before we could react, it turned and was gone. And I tried to call it back, but I couldn't. There was no way that thing was coming back. Because it had seen the truth, it knew who was doing the calling, and it knew the calling was fake. And because it discerned the truth that day, it lived, and we went hungry. And in the same way, the world is trying to suck us into its philosophies, its beliefs, its desires, and the result is death. If the world can get you to love the world and its things, the result is death. So as John considers what are the marks of being in fellowship with God, He tells us that Christians do not love the world or the things of the world. Christians in fellowship do not let the world, the enticements of the world, suck them in. So let's just dive into this passage. John begins and he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If we're going to understand what John is saying, we have to understand uh, how he uses the word love and how he's using the word world. We use that word love in many ways. I love to work uh, with my hands, making things. I love to grow things. I love target shooting and hunting. I love to drive my quad, and Esther has her quad, and we go out for a ride. I love apple pie. I love Esther. Did I just equate Esther with apple pie? <laughs> of course not. Because we understand that we use that word love in so many different ways. And so when I say I love apple pie, what I'm saying is I enjoy apple pie. But when I say I love Esther, that's something totally different, isn't it? We understand that. And so what is John saying here? He says, do not love the world. Again, it's used in the Bible in different ways. God says he loved the world so much that he sent his only son. There he's talking about the people. He loves the people. But the world also, it says that God has given us all things to enjoy. That's the world. That's who you are to enjoy those things. When uh, John is talking about love here, he's talking about your desires, your affections, what you dream about. Uh, what you hope for, what you pursue, what gives your life value and meaning. Uh, what is the driving force in your life? Now, there's a healthy love of the world, but John is not talking about that. He's talking about an unhealthy love of the world. A love that when you love the world, it interferes with your love with God. And so that's what he's talking about when he's talking about love. So world, again, as I've used, uh, it's used in many different senses. So John is not talking about the people of the world, we're to love them. But rather he's talking about the negative aspects of this world. The things of the world which entice us and draw our affections away from God. And that's how you can understand whether it's a good, a healthy love or not. An unhealthy love of this world and the things of the world always draws you away from the love of God. And when we see that happening, we know we're in the unhealthy love. So John defines the word world. We don't have to go and look for a definition. He defines it here. So he says that he means by the world, it's the desires of the flesh, it's the cravings of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh. Your different Bibles will use usually one of those three words. Lust or desire in this sense is always me-centered. Whereas love focuses on the good of others. Lust demands, love gives. Lust always pushes out love in our lives. One writer put it this way, and I like it. Uh, he says, the lust of our flesh is the desire to do something that is not in the will of God. So this speaks to the cravings that we have uh, for pleasure and comfort. It's our activities uh, that go along with that. That's not in the will of God. And perhaps the most common expression of the lust of the flesh is some form of sexual sin. Premarital sex, adultery, lustful thoughts, pornography, any sexual expression outside of marriage between a man and a woman is part of the lust of the flesh. But it can take many other forms. Lust for food, lust for comfort, Lust for a chemical high. It's indulging in anything or whatever excites or inflames our senses. 
It says, lusting after sensual pleasures. Also, the love of the world involves the desire of the eyes or the cravings or the lust of the eyes. And this speaks to the cravings that we have for what we see. So the other is the craving for what we do, craving for what you see. And usually they work together. But the lust of the eyes is the desire to have something apart from the will of God. And perhaps the most common expression of lust of the eyes is materialism. Putting your love into your possessions and your wealth and so on. Now advertising takes these two, the lust of the eyes along with the lust of the flesh, to entice us to buy something. Actually, our whole economy runs on these two. And so they picture a new car with a beautiful woman beside it. Now what what does the woman have to do with the car? They're simply combining the lust of the eyes with the lust of the flesh. Now you want to buy the car. Or they'll picture the new SUV going places it was never meant to go. And the people there driving this SUV SUV are having great experiences. And they're trying to stir up the desires of your flesh along with what you see. So that, of course, you have to have that new SUV. It's all designed to stir up these. David's an example of this. One evening he was walking on his roof, and from his roof he could look down on the rooftop where Bathsheba lived. And she was up on top of her roof taking a bath in the evening. He saw her. And he had to have her. It's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes working together. And it was disastrous. Then the third thing that John brings out uh, as part of this love of the world is pride in your possessions and achievements. And so the pride of life is the desire to be something apart from the will of God. And the most common expression of this is looking for significance and meaning in money, possessions, power, achievements. The lust of the eye sees those things and wants them for what they give you, uh, and it fulfills the lust of the flesh. The pride of life is seeking the same things for what it gives you in the sense of identity and significance. Look at who I am. Look at what I have achieved. And it usually comes with the sense of, I'm better than you. Because I've done this, and you haven't. I have this, and you don't have it. And again, that drives so much of our society, doesn't it? Or it comes in things that have nothing to do with us, but we claim them. I'm more handsome than you, or I'm more beautiful than you. And so I'm better than you. I'm stronger, and I'm more powerful than you. So I'm better than you. I'm richer, I'm in a higher social class than you, so I'm better than you. We see this in the war in Ukraine right now, and Putin has uh, come out and been fairly open with why he's doing this. He always admired the Russian empire that was built under the Tsars, especially Alexander the Great. And Putin wants to recreate that empire. He wants to make his mark in history to have a lasting significance the pride of life that John is talking about. And Putin's pride of life is destroying a lot of people. And so these three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
John says, comes from the world, not of God. And all temptations fall under one of these, and often under all three. And Satan is a master of using all three to tempt us. Again, I want to say, are all desires bad? No, God's given us desires. Is it wrong to have possessions and wealth? No, it's not. And so what makes a desire or a thing of this world turn from godly to ungodly? It's when it turns into that self-centered love, that lust for them. And it becomes a driving force in your life and it pushes out the love of God. So John moves on. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. And so John is telling us that the love of the world is opposite to the love of the Father. If we love this world, then we'll not be experiencing God's love in us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life kills our experience of God's love. Because the love of the world and God's love for us are opposites. They're going in two different directions. And so you can't be going in two directions at once. The world is after you. It wants to pull you into its beliefs and its desires. It's seeking to entice you by using the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life because it knows that it will destroy your experience of God's love. And it will destroy your love for God. Jesus put it in a different way. He said, no one can serve two masters, money or God. You can't make money and wealth the goal of your life and still be pursuing God. They take you in opposite directions. Now, it's not limited to just money. That was the context Jesus was talking about. And it kind of captures everything. But his point was, you can't serve two masters. And so you can't be giving your affections to God and to the world at the same time. When your affections belong to food, drink, comfort, houses, clothes, toys, sex, money, power, pride, the list goes on, your affections will not belong to God. And what John is trying to tell us is that this world is unfit for our affections. So don't allow yourself to be distracted by affections for this world, and yet how easily we are distracted. There's the parable of a man who bought a new dog to hunt bears, and uh, he decided to try his dog out. And he went out, and they found the track of a bear, and they put the dog on the track, and with a lot of barking, the dog was off on a run, tracking down the bear. But as he ran, tracking the bear with his nose to the ground, he came to the place where a deer had crossed that trail. Suddenly he had a new scent, and he was off on the deer trail now. And as a little ways on, uh, suddenly they came across where a rabbit had crossed that trail, and now he was off on a new trail. And so it went, and finally when the breathless hunter finally caught up with the dog, the dog was barking down a mouse hole. But you know, it's a picture of us. So easily distracted by other enticements than the enticement of God's love. So easily distracted. Dwight Moody, when he was talking about this, he said, many of us are like someone in a rowboat, paddling as hard as we can, but we've left the boat tied to the dock. You're going nowhere in your life. You know, as long as we leave ourselves tied to this world and its enticements, 
We don't go anywhere. That's why Paul said, see that no one takes you captive to this world's hollow and deceptive philosophies. Take that, picture that in your mind, captive Christians. Those two shouldn't go together, should they? Captivated by the world. Paul in Titus 2, 11 says, The grace of God brings salvation, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God didn't save you to leave you captivated by the world. Paul is saying that it, salvation appeared to you so that you would cut yourself free from this world. Learn to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and learn to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And then he gives us a purpose in verse 14. His purpose of bringing salvation is to redeem for himself a people who purify themselves from all wickedness. That's his purpose for you. And so we're not to love this world. We're not to love its violence, its corruption, its arrogance, its power, or its ungodliness. Those are not fit objects for the affections of God's people. And yet so much of our world centers around those very things. We see it in the workplace. We see it in business. We see it in the media. Much of the world's entertainment is focused around the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Often we summarize this as sex, money, and power. But Paul in Colossians 3, he says, he's talking about that. He says, instead of focusing on that, set your minds, your hearts on the things above. That's a choice. You can choose to be focused on this world or you can set your mind on things above. He goes on, he says, put to death whatever is of the world. And he gives a whole long list there. And then he says, clothe yourself. And he gives a list of virtues. That's a choice for you. And so what John is saying is this world is passing away. All its desires will cease. All of its idols will dissipate into nothingness. All the hopes that we place in this world are going to fail and give disappointment. The kingdoms of this world are all going to fall and its kings are going to die. All the power structures of this world will collapse. They'll be gone, just gone. If you go to Quebec in the winter, you can book a room at the ice hotel. Each winter, a hotel is built out of ice. Uh, I think they quit that during COVID. I'm not sure if they started again. Uh, but the walls are four feet thick. There's an ice bar where you can get drinks. There's an outdoor hot tub and sauna to warm up in. And, of course, you get to sleep on an ice bed. And so if you want to go there and uh, have that experience at Ice Hotel, you can go there. Finland is a similar thing, uh, not a hotel, but they uh, build an ice castle. has 13-foot high walls. The wall stretches uh, about 1,650 feet around. Uh, the Ice Castle has a theater, a playground, an art gallery. They host weddings, concerts, and other events, and they're able to host up to 3,000 people. It costs them about $1.1 million a year to create the thing and keep it up through the winter. Now, there's one thing common about both the Ice Hotel and the Ice Castle. In the spring, they both melt, and they're gone. And that's the picture that John is trying to give us in this passage. 
When we put our affections and dreams and hopes into this world, nothing lasts. It all vanishes. Death brings it an end to it all. Years ago, I worked for an electrical company. And one of the projects in which we were working on was a large condominium building. And next door, where we were working, there was a mansion being built. A retired man building his dream home. He was all alone in this life. It was just him. And he had a lot of money. And he was building this huge house. The house was framed in. The roof was on. There was no windows or doors yet in it. And suddenly he had a heart attack and he was gone. All his dreams and his hopes, everything he had worked for was in that house. And suddenly it was nothing. I had a friend who had a company manufacturing equipment for the oil patch. And he made a small fortune. And he decided one day, uh, he was in his mid-50s, he was going to sell out and uh, retire early. And so he did that and he took his money and he invested it. And uh, he put his money in higher risk things. He was going to make a lot more money. And in 2008, the crash happened and uh, he lost almost everything. And at first it was devastating for him. But then he realized it was good because the event took him from loving this world to loving God. From trusting in this world to trusting God. James says that this world in James 4.14 is like a mist. He says, why you do not even know what's going to happen tomorrow to you? What's your life? You're a mist who appears for a little time here. And then it vanishes. You don't even know if you have today. Your life's a mist, he says. In contrast, John says that whoever does the will of God lasts forever. Lasts forever. Another way of saying this, the world is a sinking ship, so don't tie your boat to it. Because the world and its desires pass away, but the man or woman who does the will of God lives forever. And so John's answer to all of this is very simple. Remember what's passing away. Remember that the world is like the Titanic. It thinks it's unsinkable, but it's going to sink. And you don't want to be on a ship that's going to sink. Why would you tie all your hopes in your life there? And remember what lasts. Tie your life to eternity. The one who does the will of God lasts forever. And the things he does in the will of God impacts forever. In John chapter 21, after the resurrection and the Simon Peter has told the rest, he says, I'm going to go back fishing. He's discouraged. He's denied the Lord. Uh, he's just totally discouraged. And he goes back to what he used to do, what he loves. And uh, Jesus meets him on that beach. He gives him a big catch of fish, and he has fish ready for them to eat. And after they'd finished eating, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
And three times Jesus repeated that, and finally John is feeling hurt. You know I love you, Lord. And Jesus keeps saying, feed my sheep, in one way or another. And at the end he says, follow me. You know, there, the monkey trap story, I think, illustrates so much what Jesus is trying to do with John. You get this variations of this story from many different cultures where monkeys live, but apparently monkeys are quite easy to trap. All you have to do is take a gourd and drill a hole in it and empty it out inside and so it's hollow and just make that hole just big enough that a monkey can squeeze his hand in. And then you put some, a piece of fruit or something that it wants in there. Or other people will take a glass jar and uh, one that has an opening just big enough for his hand to go in. And they'll put a brightly colored object in there. And the monkey will put his hand in there and he'll grab onto that, but now he's got a fist. And he can't pull it back out and that gourd or that jar is tied there so he can't take it away. And the monkey will stay there hanging on to his prize, not willing to let it go. Until finally the hunter comes and destroys him, captures him. The monkey gives up his freedom rather than release what he desires of this world. Now that seems so foolish. But that's exactly what the world does to us. So many Christians, they give up their freedom and they become ensnared by this world rather than give up something that comes from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's only by letting go that we can be free. It's only in surrender that we're free. And so in the parable of the monkey, I'm the monkey. You're the monkey. The jar is this world, and inside is the things that we lust for and desire. The things that you struggle to let go of. And that's where this story catches Peter. In this low point in his life, he desired to go back. And grab on to something. And Jesus catches him at that point And he says do you love me more than these? Are you willing to let go? And Peter's answer was yes. Now you fill in the blank. I really believe that Jesus used that term. Do you love me more than these? Because if he put a specific object there. We would stop at that. He wants it open ended for each of us. Because the thing that we're not willing to let go of is different for each of us. And his question is, do you love me more than... And you fill in the blank. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. We'll ask the ushers if they'll come forward, please. <clears throat>